0: we will discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as provide several resources, techniques, and coping mechanisms that can be used every day to instill overall toughness, wellness, and resiliency into our military force. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy what we have to provide. Welcome to the Seeds of Triumph podcast. I'm so honored to have the privilege to speak with Ms. Amber Viola, who is retired Navy and is working in her passion to help military and veterans overcome adversity. She is the commander of the Goldsboro, Pennsylvania, American Legion, a veteran service organization. She also has her own podcast called Politics But Make It Fashion, where she and her co-host talk politics and fashion. Additionally, she has an amazing portfolio of social outreach and has been featured in the Washington Post and Vogue magazine, amongst many other accomplishments. Amber is the definition of triumphant, and I couldn't be more thrilled to speak and learn from her and her experiences. Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. I already gave you a bit of an introduction, but please tell us more because we are dying to know.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, and um, thank you for that intro. Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> well, you're awesome. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so my name is Amber. I am currently um in NEPA. This is where I'm from. Um, I moved around a lot, so I was kind of an army brat going up. So my mom was in army too, and um, so like. Funny thing, I never thought I would actually like join the military because I didn't like the way it affected my life in my childhood. Um, but I needed money and I was a poor college student and my brother was going to go into the military as well, so we both decided to join the military together. And um I had like up and down experiences when I was in the Navy. Um like, overall, I loved it. It taught me a lot, but there was also some really terrible aspects to it as well. So, I mean, obviously, I got out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, for me, like, there was a lot of personal growth. Um, you know, the military kind of uses you and uses you for all you have got, and I knew that going into it, coming from a military family, so I really wanted to use it for all it had to. And kind of do as much as I could to get out of it, you know? Um, so I just tried to get as many like qualifications and certifications and stuff as I could. And um, I started taking college classes and stuff and using my TA while I was in. So I was um, able to then come in kind of as like a sophomore, junior when I started my college once I got out, which put me in like a really good position. So um, I got out. And I've been out for five years now. <laughs> I started school the next day after I moved up here back home, and I went to school straight through um the summer. I graduated with my bachelor's in social work, took a little break from school, and now I'm back at it again, and I'm graduating in May with my master's, so that's uh currently what my main focus is on is just trying to like, Oh girl, finish strong. Cause I'm tired. <laughs> uh, but I'm also the commander of my American Legion in Goolsboro right now. And that has been uh, such an amazing experience and something I never, ever thought I would do or have the opportunity to do or anything like that. So that's been really great. And, um, I have a podcast, as you said, so um, hosting and producing my podcast has become a very new passion for me, and it's something that I love to do, so um, those things are kind of what's uh, on my plate right now, as well as just being a mom, always. That's first and foremost. So, you know, I love helping people, and I've always wanted to help people, and after leaving the military, I really wanted to help veterans and female veterans. Um, While I was active duty, I was a victim advocate and all of my instructors um, were civilians and they were all social workers. And I just thought that they were such amazing people and I loved like their kindness and their empathy and their willingness to wanna help people. So I knew that when I got out, I wanted to become a social worker, so.
0: What did you go into um, college for initially like before you joined the military? I went in as a history major. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, I was actually going to ask you, but you answered my question too. Was like, <laughs> oh, what, made, what made you want to get into social work? But no, that's really good. I find myself um, leaning towards that route too, because like you said, like I also have a passion for helping people and social work is amazing. Every therapist, social worker that I've ever met has just been fantastic. Yeah.
1: And it's such a broad um, category. Like you can really almost do anything. There's one of our former senators, I was an intern under him and he had his master's in social work and it just made him such a better leader, an amazing leader. And that's not something you would really think about when thinking about a social worker. Um, I worked at HR. I was HR director for the city of Scranton. Um, and you wouldn't really think about that as a social worker, but that's uh, surprisingly. There's a lot of social workers that do HR, and it and it has so many similarities in different things. Um, a lot of times, people only think about the, you know, uh, child services and that kind of aspect of it. But I mean, you can work in things like statistics and research. Um, I love research um, and do different things like that. I mean, there's people who do like studies in cities about like how walkable is your city and you know a social worker will be researching that and stuff so it's a it's a lot so definitely definitely think about it
0: yeah I didn't know that it was it was so um it was such a wide category of things that you can work in. when I think of social worker I do I think of like child services or mental health care so yeah thank you for that
1: yeah I don't want to I knew that I didn't want to work one-on-one with people
0: yeah Um, what is the, can you talk more about the American Legion? Sure. So
1: the American Legion is a nonprofit organization that is for veterans and it is a nationwide organization. I think there's like over 300 American legions or something like that. That might be the wrong number guys. So, (laughs) but there's a lot (laughs) and, um, they, we service, our whole community because we i have a small community in gouldsboro that's where i grew up and it is such a center point of our community and we are there for veterans Uh, i mean we have you know there's still korean war veterans you know vietnam veterans and things like that so you have veterans from kind of all across the board and different things and we help people our legion gives out scholarships um to kids in the area who have a veteran um, relative or something like that. We help people get their um, disability claims if they need it. We've had vets come down and visit and we serve them lunch and different things. And honestly, the main goal is to provide like a place for veterans to come and have camaraderie and be able to feel accepted and be able to kind of share um, whatever they want to share. You know, and, and be around people who, who get them and about around people who really understand them. I don't think that sometimes people realize how different veterans can be um, because, you know, people don't know, everyone doesn't know a veteran like they used to, you know, um, so sometimes they might be the only one, you know, or they really don't know anybody. So they kind of have a perception in things, but the American Legion currently, the numbers are really going down and we really, really want to get younger, um, veterans in there to help us stay there, you know, because honestly, a lot of it, the people are going to die off. And, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of American legions that are going to end up closing because there's no, no younger members and things like that that are kind of stepping up who are willing to be a part of it.
0: How does someone go about um, getting involved in the American Legion? Look it up. Find out yeah. where your
1: local one is. Um, Scranton is one of the highest populations of veterans any PA does in the country, so we have a whole bunch here. So I don't know if everywhere else is kind of like that, but definitely I would just look up American Legion in your area, and you can go there. And membership for a year is like. $35 or something like that. Um, most of them have a bar and alcohol is real cheap. <laughs> and it's just, um, I, I like to be there. I like to be around other veterans. I know that there's, I know there's issues and I know that's why younger veterans aren't involved with them. But I think that if we don't get involved in those issues, are just going to stay there. You know, I know that there are racist. Uh, I know that there are homophobic people you know, um, who have been that way for a very long time. And I, and I totally get that. I also understand that not everybody wants to be around a bar and be around alcohol because maybe they had, um, issues with alcohol and things like that. But I do think that it is an amazing organization and things like that. And it's definitely worth getting involved in. And if you haven't, and I know some veterans who have tried and have ran into those issues and then left, but I would definitely say try again, you know, or try another American Legion. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'm over my Legion and I'm a, one of the youngest uh members and w- a woman and a black woman. And my Legion is all white, old people. So
0: that's amazing. <laughs> you never that know, that guys. Something. Yeah, it says something with it, within itself. Good on you. So the American Legion can provide like a support network for veterans, it, it like really, just a way really to connect. Can. Yeah. It was for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I was just, um, I was in a leadership class this morning and we were talking about just removing like negativity, negative talks, negative stigmas. Um, and while they may like exist and be in your face, um, if we don't, you know, try, try our best effort to remove those by spreading positivity, um, and not running away from, you know, some of the, the negative things that, maybe out that are outdated, then it's never going to change. So yeah, I'm glad that you said that those exist, but they don't have to. And if the younger generation, you know, the more informed, more modern generation of veterans does get involved, it can definitely remove those negative um, stigmas. And
1: it's not all like, oh, you have to go there and talk about war or anything like that. And it's, you know, you don't have to be a combat veteran, you know, you can be any rank, any, you know, any, um, what is it? Uh, rate, any rank, any rate. Yeah. Right. Anything. So it, so it doesn't matter. There's no like specific type that you have to be or fit into a certain category or anything.
0: Yeah. It's just a place where people can come to find common ground. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that exists and I'm glad that your legion has you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you for telling us, um, all of that about yourself. Um, when you were an advocate in the Navy, um, and and then even your experiences, um, outside of the military, do you have, like, did you work with people that had mental health issues or do you have, um, a specific background in sort of, um, the mental health care aspect for veterans?
1: yeah definitely um you know when you're working with the victims and their families and things like that they're you're getting them counseling and, and therapy and sometimes there are mental health issues that would develop after that a lot of times victims do have ptsd from the incidents that occurred um whether it was one or whether it was many um, can have depression and anxiety and things. So those are very like normal things to happen after somebody has a traumatic incident going on. So just being around people and having to learn how to kind of navigate that and what to do and, and how that system kind of works. And after the military, I helped a lot of veterans, um, get help with the va and be able to try to apply for benefits and things like that so that they can get diagnosed with a mental health um, illness mental health issue um, and get the help that they need and get the treatment that they need so seeing people in different stages kind of of the process you know and um, some people where it's still it's still hard for them to even talk about it, you know, and then have working with people who have, you know, shared it so much that it, that they're able to do so. So it's, it's been interesting to, to do all that. Navigating it in the Navy and outside of the Navy is hard. Both of them have kind of their own, their own issues, you know, mental health services while you're in the military is like, uh, well, basically, (laughs) nobody wants you to do it and nobody's really supported of supportive of it and so when you have that and then trying to kind of overcome that mindset when you get out to still kind of want to seek help is definitely hard um it can be hard to admit that you have an issue that you need to work on that you have a problem but um you know when they call it like mental illness it's illness you know you need to get better you need to you know do what you have to do to try to try to get stronger, you know, and, and develop better coping mechanisms and, and different things like that. So it's, it's, it's so interesting. And, you know, I got diagnosed with PTSD um, myself, so I have had to personally navigate the veterans health system and mental health system and still, still obviously do so. So I know how it is and I know kind of how the system works and, And I just want to do whatever I can to help anybody who needs any help.
0: When you were active duty, um, did you utilize any mental health care services or do you have any opinion about kind of what was offered or, you know, the availability of what was being offered um, at the time?
1: Yeah, I I did. Um, I had postpartum depression and um, so I was actually, this is, I was at a Guts command um during this and my actual first experience with the mental health department was absolutely horrific it was terrible I I was crying like this lady was horrible um but this wonderful woman found me in a hallway crying and she was a, a therapist there and she took me into her office and talked to me and she was absolutely amazing and I I was lucky because I had a really great supervisor so there was a point where i was going to therapy like twice a week um i probably should have maybe been in inpatient therapy at the time but i was like going through i going through a divorce gonna have custody issues and i was worried about that affecting all of that so but i was able to go to therapy twice a week um and be with this amazing counselor and really kind of learn how to get better, learn what was wrong with me, learn how to feel, learn how to, you know, fix things. I was able to take medicine, um, along with therapy. I'm definitely an advocate for, I'm not, I don't believe in pill pushing because I think there's a lot of other stuff that you can do, especially for mental health. But I think when you do all those things in conjunction together, it it can be really, really helpful. Um, so for me, it, it really was with medicine and therapy and things like that. Um, I also utilized um, fleet and family services because I used, I took parenting classes before um, I had my daughter uh, while I was pregnant and things like that. And then they continued after I had her and things. And so that was another layer of like support and help and another system that I had that I was able to utilize. So, um I do always advocate for people to go and utilize plain family services. Um you know, go to your mental health department if you have one, but if you don't trust it or you don't trust your command, you can always go outside. You can always use a civilian counseling service. Nobody can tell you that you can't. And if they tell you that you can't, they're lying. Um so you can always go outside and you can always do that. And the fun, and the not funny thing, but the good thing about civilian counselors is you can find somebody who's maybe available Saturdays or Sundays or at night or early in the morning, Um, you know, because military doctors, they're, they're pretty much on that like nine to four schedule. So, (laughs) and that's when you're working. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the downsides of trying to seek mental health treatment in the military is, you know, your schedule and you're working and it's really hard to take time off. So trying to do that, I do understand that is a huge barrier for people being able to get help. So utilizing a civilian can be a helpful way in to kind of navigate that and, and go around. And now they offer online therapies and counseling and stuff. So and a lot of those things are have really good, good, flexible schedules. So.
0: No. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. So like, I I said it in a previous episode, but I actually, um, you know, not brand new to the Navy, but I was on my second tour and I was thrown, not thrown into, I guess maybe, into the special operations community, right? It was something I wanted to do, but I found myself um, struggling with with my emotions and I didn't want to appear uh, weak, So I didn't look to my command for mental health resources or guidance. I actually went out in the civilian sector um, because I was, I think I was 23. I was still on my parents' insurance. So I was Mm -hmm. able to use that. So yeah, if anybody out there, if you guys are still on your parents' insurance, Go out in town. I think I paid twenty bucks a session, yeah. um, and I met with my therapist um, after hours, so nobody at work knew right. what I was doing. But I was able to work through those issues and problems. And there's that agencies
1: having. that um that are free, um that that for your oh. community. So um, I actually right now am interning at Scranton Counseling Center here in my area, and um they offer services that are free for people that don't have insurance or can't afford to pay or you know different things are places that take like um little like you know really small payments and stuff like that so definitely look around because that's yeah. available in some areas. Too. So there's
0: no central database for that type of stuff. You might just have to do some research on Google yeah. to find maybe Google. I tell everybody Google everything. Yeah. I'm always okay. on Google guys. <laughs> no, that, that's a good tip. And I didn't know that that exists. So yeah, if you want to go outside of the military to get mental health treatment, yeah. See what your local community has. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, if you're on a else. ship
1: and stuff too, it's hard. Like, um, cause people see, and this is one of the things, one of the things I had with being, uh, um, victim advocates, people see you with them and they'll, they'll put two and two together, even if it's not that, you know, even if it's just yeah. like you talking to your friend. So sometimes like people see you next to the psych office or like you have an appointment and it does, and you don't say what kind of appointment it is. And then, you know, people want to speculate or assume. And I mean, I would have like commanders and supervisors and stuff like grilling me for information about victims and stuff. And I was like, I can't like tell you that. Well, what I need to know what kind of appointment is or they can't go. You can't do that. Like what are you talking about? You know, so that's, that's another barrier that makes it pretty hard. So
0: I couldn't 100%. believe that they were
1: even asking me. I was like,
0: that like, is you know crazy. Than that. And something along with, and I, I think these two line up really well together as as along with mental health, something else that I'm also very passionate about is leadership, right? Is making sure that I'm a good leader and that I can be the example for other people to see how they can be a good leader too, because as, you know, D guts, right. And his leadership podcast talks about and illuminates a lot is, is the leadership and competency that we have yeah. in the Navy. And we don't get And that it's the Navy's training. fault
1: because there's no way that you should, that you should offer a two day PowerPoint to lead people. That right. is insane. And the other services don't do that. Exactly. They literally don't. When people become an E5 or an E6, they They're are to sent school. to a leadership school mm-hmm. and are there for like two months, learning and training how to be a real leader. And in the Navy, the, it's just ridiculous. So, like, it's something funny to me is always like, I didn't even go to my training because I ended up having watch.
0: So they put it on a DVD. Yeah, for they me. just put it and in the, like, they just put the code in and said I did yeah. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right.
0: So like, that's the problem. It is. It is. It is part of the problem. And I think that's one of the foundational problems that leads to these barriers that, you know, you just spoke about Is if, and for anybody listening, you know, if you're a leader now or you get into a leadership position, please consider, um, you know, what people are going through. We're all human. Right. We're not, you know, we're not checks, checks in a box and we're not just you know, these humanless beings, we have feelings and we have illnesses, right? Things Mm -hmm. that happen to us that we have to work through and get treated for. So I just ask, you know, everyone, when you get into a leadership position, or if you are in one, just be understanding, respect the rules, don't pry, respect people's privacy (laughs) and be accommodating because a healthy force is a lasting force. And the number one reason that people separate from the military is because of toxic leadership Mm -hmm. it is um because they don't feel supported or they were treated wrong and that's just that's that's such an easy fix to a retention problem i know so many good people that get out because of that and if we could just fix it um by by setting the example if our if our leaderships if our leaders aren't going to fix it at least we can right by doing the right thing and setting the example because it, it definitely has a major impact on the barriers that we're currently facing with access to mental health so yeah just wanted to throw that out there so the next thing that i wanted to talk about is i recently i think it was yesterday, there was an article that came out about military sexual trauma and its relation to suicide. And suicide has been a big deal in the Navy and not just the Navy, but the military, but you see it in the Navy, um, more and more about, you know, sailors committing suicide and it's so sad and tragic. And Mm -hmm. I just want to do something to be able to stop it. Um, I see the news articles and I also see people post in forums crying out for help and, you know, we can provide links to resources and, you know, we can and say the names of resources all the time, but there has to be another way that we can reach people to save their lives and let them know that they're, they're worth it. So back to the article, it, it essentially talked about the stigmas associated with retaliation um, to our military sexual trauma victims. Yeah. And how that, re- that fear of retaliation can lead people to commit suicide. And I just feel like fear of retaliation is such a something that doesn't need to exist if we yeah. had leaders and people that just supported us and listened to us and trusted and retaliation us. Retaliation
1: is real. Like it's it just, is. And I mean, it's so easy for like, upper upper chain of commands to say for like um you know when the when somebody's like coming to your ship and they're gonna do a talk and stuff like that like it's you know for the cno to say like don't worry about retaliation you know come to me my office is always open or whatever and it's like it's made kind of almost like that's not a big issue but i've personally seen it and not just with military sexual trauma, with anything. And it's like, I mean, people get, ruin your life, you know, because you put your division or your department now under the spotlight, and now you're under, they're under investigation or whatever, and and stuff like that. And I mean, you know, now you're getting every shitty watch, you know, you're you're getting all the extra work. You don't get to leave for your kid's ultrasound because they hate you. Like it's just so much that they. Can do to you because you said something that happened to you, and it and it's real and it happens so much. And um, like my mom was in the military; she was in army for twenty two years. Um, she was an officer, and there are so many times I would tell her stories about what happened in the navy and stuff. And she's like, "Why didn't you go tell some like Why weren't you in um, you know, the investigators office or whatever?" And I'm like. No, <laughs> you know, no, because it wouldn't have worked. It would have been terrible for me. It would have almost been worse than what happened, would what happened after that, and you know, and I, and I just say, you know, if I felt that way as as me, as a person who you know is is pretty tough, um, and I didn't want to deal with it or or anything. I can't even imagine anybody else trying to deal with that either. You know, it's it's such a real thing, guys. Like, I mean. People, I know that it's hard to believe that your friend raped somebody. And a lot of times that's what it comes down to. Um, I had a friend that was accused of raping someone and I believed his story. I believed him. And then he did something extremely inappropriate and extremely creepy to me. And there was a moment and I was like, you raped that girl. I knew it in my head. And I was like, and I believed you because you were my friend. So I understand that. I understand that side of it. I get it, that it really is hard to believe that, like, your friend would ever do that. But most women aren't, aren't lying, you know? The statistics for people who lie about sexual assault or rape are the same for, like, almost every crime. And people who do lie about it probably have some mental health issues or something traumatizing happened to them and they're going through whatever, but it's not just willy nilly. You know, um, if somebody ever tells you that women come forward to be famous, ask them what a victim's name is because I bet you, they can't tell you, Mm -hmm. you know, ask them what's one of uh, Bill Cosby's accusers since they did it to be famous. You know, I'll wait for you to tell me what somebody's name is.
0: Right, and no. you know they might they might try to name some famous scandal about some woman with some millionaire NBA player, football player, but right. ain't nobody in the military making <laughs> millions no, of dollars for. Right. <laughs> but like, yeah, and like so, what do you get out of that? You yeah, get, you know what
1: you get? Everybody hates you. Shame. That's what you get.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm. I couldn't. I couldn't stop shaking my head in, in agreement with everything that you were saying because I too have found myself in a situation that i never thought that i would be in i grew up raised by my dad um you know tomboy he always told me to be independent stick up for yourself if anybody touches you you know you you get them back 10 times over you know so right that was that was how i was brought up that was the mentality that i had going into the military right brand new right out of high school. I was, I was tough. I was ready for anything that anybody threw at me. I wish somebody would try to violate me or my space. Like there would be, like that was, that was the mindset and the attitude that I had until some real stuff happened. And I found myself secluded in a different country on a deployment being harassed and touched every single day by somebody that I was supposed to trust as my leader. And you know what? <laughs> I folded. I, I didn't get them back. I didn't try to punish them. And it was because I was scared that I was Ooh. going to ruin my reputation, ruin, yes. ruin the rest of my career. now you're career. A You just exactly. regret it. And you know what? I let that fear prevent me from coming forward with what was going on. So something that, you know, could have lasted one time, one week. If I would have reported it, it ended up lasting six weeks until somebody yeah. else reported it for me. And I still had to deal with the consequences, the rumors. I was labeled. Even though as a you hoe. didn't even
1: report it. And that's the exactly. thing too. Even if somebody else does. It's still like, oh, will you? Like, no. And and people spread rumors and people just believe it, you know, just.
0: And the thing about spreading rumors is people don't really think how toxic and powerful it can be. But rumors Mm -hmm. spread like wildfire and they get into somebody's head. And sometimes when everybody's saying the same thing, people believe it and mm-hmm. there's really no coming back from it, or that's, at least that's what it feels like, right? And that's how I felt. And I prided myself in being sharp and professional mm-hmm. and, and never coming out of character and just always doing what was right. And the fact that you know, the, what people were saying at that point defined me, it was awful. And that's when I lost myself. I fell into the deepest, darkest times of my life. I felt worthless. The people who I should have trusted, the people who knew me and worked with me, I thought, were calling me these names, saying that I lied about it, just completely invalidating my truth. And it was the worst feeling in the world. Yeah, and even people you think are your friends. Exactly.
1: People that you were really cool with before and now all of a sudden won't talk to you or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like-
0: yeah, it's it's a it's big it's a big thing that we deal with, and, and I know men deal with it too. But there there's a stigma around women and women lying, and then women having to face these these second and third order consequences. But right. I would say because I came out of that, I'm better for it now. And I wish that I hadn't let that fear of retaliation scare me away from reporting it in the first place because Correct. me not reporting it let him get away with it several more times, more yeah. times than he should have. And I still had to deal with the repercussions. So just just if, if you find yourself in that situation or you've been through that situation and those who will go through that situation because it's inevitable, just just be strong. Know who you are and be confident in who you are and what you did. The truth will come out and whatever, whatever you go through and whatever adversity you face, you, you're going to get through it. You just got to stay strong. That's such an important topic to talk about. And, and a lot of people don't address it. So,
1: yeah, I think so. I think it, it just makes it hard. That's that's the number one reason why when working with victims that people wouldn't want to say anything was was retaliation or or fear of retaliation.
0: And as, as leaders too, I'll, I'll draw it back to leadership, right? As leaders, we can remove that fear of retaliation by making sure that our, our people feel supported, know that we'll stand by them. Right. With that, the, there was, there's also some more statistics that I wanted to provide um, to our audience and to you as well and get your thoughts. There was a, um, on August 31st, of last year, 2022, the Pentagon released the annual report on sexual assault prevention in the military. And the findings were that 36,000 service members reported experiencing unwanted sexual contact. 8.4% of those were women and 1.5% of those were men. And that was a 35% increase since 2018. So in three years, nearly 35% um, increase, it's crazy. And one and like I keep saying, right, leadership plays a part in this. And um, in the same article that I was reading um, that displayed these statistics, um, Colonel Don Christensen, who's retired, he was a former chief prosecutor of the United States Air Force. He said that leadership plays a big role in these numbers and that if leadership had supported rather than obstructed removing commander's prosecution authority years ago that the military would be in a much better place now. Yeah. And that brings me to want to bring up the um, National Defense Authorization Act that came out um, regarding the, excuse me, the special trial counsel that's supposed to provide um, expertise and like a civilian prosecutor to go after these sexual assault cases um, with the hope to restore justice and the and the process for military and supposedly according to the SECDEF, um, it's supposed to be rolled out late this year in December of 2023. So, what are your thoughts on that whole thing? I mean, I hope it works, <laughs> yeah. but I, it's it's hard. I mean,
1: you there's so much that goes into the the process not working and it's not just one thing. Um, this could definitely help, but it just de- definitely depends on like just who's on the council, you know, where are we pulling these bodies from and different things. And I think that just really makes a difference.
0: And, so, and our c- service members going to feel supported to even get to that level. Right. Exactly. It's probably step number one. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I think that they should have outside agencies investigate and do the whole, the whole thing. Um, I don't think you can really trust organizations to investigate themselves very well. So, you know, if you're stationed somewhere, I think the best bet is for the police to actually maybe get involved. I mean, and there's been, even beyond it, there's been times where people have been found guilty, gotten a slap on, like guilty of rape and gotten a slap on a wrist and still in the military. So, like, what happens if they're guilty? Like, are we actually going to show consequences for these things or not? Because right. it, it the way it is now, the people that are found guilty, what's actually happening to them? Because right. cause it, it's been nothing a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, is it going to help? I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And I spoke in my first episode as well. It was not only that person that harassed me while I was on my first deployment. But when I came back, um, there was another person, a, a senior chief at E8, who not only harassed me and made me feel uncomfortable and violated me, but he did that to, to 14 other women that I know of. And he was administratively separated with his benefits mm. and everything. So it's like, well, did, did anything really happen to him? Was right. was justice served? What what precedence does that set for the rest of the military or the rest of the predators out there? You know, right. it, so there is bigger fish that we have to fry. It may be a slight step in the right direction, but... Yeah, it, it's really too vague to tell if that's, if that's really yeah, going
1: to work. It, like, that's so messed up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm actually I'm curious. Um, I've never been a part of the victim ad, victim's advocate <laughs> program. But as someone who did that um, while you did your service in the military, are you able to kind of walk us through the process of kind of what happens or the support that that is given or that people are entitled to?
1: sure yeah definitely let me just sorry girl i'm a veteran now my back hurts (laughs) (laughs) um so our job was basically to walk a victim through kind of like the worst time on their life so if we got a call about um a sexual assault um we all had we had phones and you would have had a phone number that was given out to people at the command and different things. So you get a call on that phone. um, And if you'd ask what, you know, what can I do for you? So it's always victim led, you know, so you're not making any decisions for anybody. You're not saying, okay, well I'm going to call the police. I'm going to take you to the house. You know, you're kind of seeing what they need and where they're at. So your first thing is kind of making sure they're safe. Like, are you safe? Do you need, do you need me to come, find you? Do you need help getting to a safe place? Like, what can we do? Um, and then you're kind of going from there, you know, what does the victim want to do? Do they want to, um, seek medical help and medical treatment? Um, if yes, and you know, we take them to the hospital to seek medical treatment. Um, do they want to do a SANE exam? Um, do they not want to do a SANE exam? um and if they do then we'll be there with them where whatever they need do they want us to stand and hold their hand do they want us to wait outside you know um do they want us to get their mom there like you know there's all these different things as, as what's happening and um and you're not forcing them to do anything you're not trying to give them advice you're trying to offer help so the first step is making sure they're safe getting them medical help and stuff like that and then you know, making sure they have a safe place to go. Um, do they, you know, do they have clothes? Do they have a place to go? Um, what do we need to get you? You know, you're asking them, like, do you want to make an unrestricted report? Do you want to make a restricted report? Like, which avenue do you want to go to? We would help them get services needed, um, almost kind of like brokering services between agencies. So whether it's, um, mental health agencies with counseling or therapy or different things like that. Um, talking to somebody, whether that's in the command or outside the command, um, any other services that they need, if they need more medical services and different things like that, um, making sure they get that. And then, you know, helping with them making appointments and, and getting to their appointments, um, helping with if they're having issues with their boss that isn't you know it's being difficult you know kind of trying to run interference with different things um if they decide that they want to go through the process of uh pressing charges and going to court we'd be there with them through that if they wanted us to be you know we'd be there every step of the way until kind of like the end of their their journey um you know, we're, we're doing kind of safe handoffs to pass them off to, you know, other services and things like that. And um, if the person wants to leave the command, maybe helping them facilitate an expedited transfer or different things like that. So our job kind of looks maybe different with every victim and family that you're helping. Um, but that's kind of the basis of it. And, our you know, we're just supposed to be there for them, whatever they
0: need. I have two questions. Um, first, why not call the police? From, like, when it first happens? Yeah, from from a victim's perspective, why not call the police? And I'm sure everybody has their own reasons. I'm just curious, you know, what your opinion might be from your experiences as to why victims may not want to involve the local authorities. They're
1: underage and they were drinking. Um, they were at a party, you know they went to his room, they went to her room, they were in a hotel. They maybe did some, something else that in the military is considered like a crime. Um, and so they're scared to get the police involved for fear of being in trouble. Um, just fear in itself, fear that something might happen, shock. Um, sometimes you're, you know, something terrible happens and you automatically kind of just go into your routine. Like you, you get in your car and you drive home and you get home and you get a drink of water and you take a shower and you lay in your bed and still haven't even processed like what happened almost like you're a zombie. So there's a lot of different reasons, but I think those are some of, some of the main ones. Um, and also being young maybe you're in a foreign country like how do you call the police you know right. um okay. you're overseas and different things like that so there's there's a lot of reasons
0: yeah that, that makes sense yeah thank you for saying that um because yes somebody else may have wondered the same thing maybe to somebody who's listening who's not in the military like why not just call the police well right
1: and i mean i you know sometimes the police don't always get it right, you know, in the Mm -hmm. way that they treat victims and believing victims as well. So I think that also has a, a big part of it is like, you know, if I'm at a party or, you know, I have on club clothes or whatever, like, what are they going to say to me if I say that I was raped or sexually assaulted?
0: So ideally the military and that process of, of, you know, victim advocacy, it adds that those extra protection layers for the victim to ensure that they're getting the best treatment and the treatment that they deserve at the time. Yeah. 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 Um, so then my next question was like, how, is there a vetting process to become an advocate? I feel like that's a very, like, it's a very huge role, um, that, that you're taking on. Um, (laughs) I was actually going to say like, um,
1: I know people who were kind of voluntold to do it. Wow. Okay. So I don't think that's right. And I definitely think it needs to be something that the person wants to do. Um, you do have to get like recommended by your command, um, and your, your like chain of command and stuff, but it it's, it wasn't a lot. Like I kind of was like, I want to be a victim advocate and I, you know, put the paperwork in and I was able to do it. Um, but if your command says, or your chain of command says like, nah, dude, you're not doing that, then you're not going to be able to do it. So that, that is a, a vetting process right there. And then you're, you're going through training for 40 hours in a week. Okay. And there's times that they haven't certified somebody because okay. they were like, nah, you know? Um, so there are the social workers there who are doing that and they're outside of the command, they're outside the military. So I think that they're a pretty good judge of character in the vetting process as well.
0: Okay, that's good, yeah, that's good.
1: The people right. I know who did it really wanted to help people and really took it very seriously
0: and honestly, I would hope so that that disheartens <sighs> me that somebody would just be voluntold to take on <laughs> such such yeah. such a huge position, right? That's yeah. a lot to deal with, and you have to be equipped and ready and willing to deal with everything that comes with that, so right yeah. <sighs> All right. So with being a, a victim's advocate um, for the Navy, but they are in all services, um, have you experienced anybody that was kind of confused on whether what they experienced, you know, kind of fit into the realm of what you were responsible for doing like I guess I more so am wanting to talk about like the differences between sexual assault versus sexual harassment and if the resources available are equal to both offenses.
1: Yeah, there definitely were people who were confused Um, and we would do trainings about that specifically um, about the different resources that were available for sexual harassment because that wasn't something that we would do. Um, I don't think they're necessarily at the same level. Um, there's not really as many resources and I'm sorry off the top of my head, I really can't remember what they were because we didn't deal with it. Mm
0: -hmm. But,
1: um, yeah, I think it's important for people to understand what the difference is. Um, and also that both should be taken seriously just because somebody wasn't physically touched doesn't mean that there's not like an impact that, that happened to them.
0: (laughs) So you would say that, um, and I and I know we get training on this, but just you know from experience, right? And as somebody who who is who's an advocate, right, for for people and supporting them, like the way I see it, as somebody who I would call it sexual harassment, but I've also but I, I'm also category categorizing the touching, right? Because I've been groped on my butt and touched on my waist, and it's like I say that that's sexual harassment, but like. That's I no like That's, the, that's the, no the, yeah. Right. That's the confusion point where it's like, okay, well, when does when does well, it you We become would kind of say whenever involved. there's
1: touching involved. Now you're you're assaulting somebody, You're putting your hands on them. So yeah, that's so that, like that's if good you were know, yeah. say you were in public, and somebody came up to you and touched your breasts and like groped your your butt and stuff, like they could go to jail for that. For for so even so if you think about it that way, that's it makes it different than when you're in an office and somebody you see us every day does it because you want to justify it because you know them and you see them every day but if you were in like the grocery store and somebody did the exact same thing to you like what would your reaction be what would you do
0: see and that's such a powerful analogy because i think we should see it all like that and i'm saying here myself it happened to me and i'm I'm even downplaying it and I shouldn't, right? Like it that was sexual assault. And the yeah. person who did that, he's still in the Navy. Yeah. And and so it's like, I God forbid, I really hope he didn't decide to grope somebody else. But like I think as as potential victims, I hate to say that, but just as service members in general, we have yeah. to really understand um what is what. And if anything that anybody's doing to you feels uncomfortable, go. High and right. Get, yeah, get get it out there. Let people know what was done, and make sure that that they're held accountable. Right. Um. The next thing that I want to just talk with you specifically about is just one how you feel. <laughs> so yes. I was interrupted by the dogs, but we're back now. So i want I wanted to hear your thoughts on the importance of advocacy and support, um, specifically when it comes to dealing with um, others who may be experiencing mental health issues or even just dealing with some trauma, whether that's from a sexual harassment or a sexual assault or just something else, like in in your opinion, since you are, you know, an advocate now, um, for veterans, like how how do you see the importance of advocacy when it comes to the help that it can provide?
1: It's really important because people need to know what's out there and like everybody's not privy to the same information, um, or listening all at the same time or whatever. So, you know, reminding people having people remind people um like showing support for something by talking about it um and publicizing it makes people feel better and makes people feel like it's something that you care about if they never hear about it or if they only hear about um where did it go for sexual assault or what to do you know twice a year during your training Mm -hmm. Um, then they don't feel like that's a real thing that they can go to because they don't ever hear about it anytime else, you know, have posters, have signs, have, you know, phone numbers, have, you know, more trainings than just those big annual ones and really advocate for it by marketing and publicity and, and having leaders talk about it and, and divisions maybe do another training about it and different things, um, that side of advocacy could really definitely help. And I think kind of on just like the lowest level is, you know, talking to people and reaching out to your friends and coworkers. If you see that they're having a hard time and especially when you're in the military, don't let somebody isolate. They don't have friends and family around them from back home. So like there was, there are so many people who, who really had nobody. Um, who were just alone. Nobody liked them or nobody really talked to them or they didn't really have any friends and they were all alone. And like you look at somebody like that and they're going through something and you never know what could happen, but just reaching out and talking to them or like hey, I got I bought you lunch today. Or you know, or hey, do you want to hang out after work or something? You know, making yourself available And reaching out, you know, maybe like stopping by or, well, texting before you stop by, um, but (laughs) to somebody's house and things like that, you know, to, to really show that, that you're there for them and not just saying it. I mean, there's so many times people make these empty, oh, I'm going to be there for you, anything you need. But then when you actually need somebody, somebody or something, nobody's there. You know, for me, one of the worst parts of postpartum was I was stationed in Virginia, my friends that I had in the Navy had all left and moved to different commands and I had nobody. Um, Nobody came to see me and my baby for like a month or so, you know, and I would see other people talking about how like, you know, somebody brought them food or like, you know, they had all these people come visit and I didn't have any of that. I didn't have my family there. My brother was actually deployed um, right like, the two days after I had the baby, um, you know, I was just so isolated and I don't know that if people would have really known that unless they asked me, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they would have known that I just didn't really have a support system because we all assume that everybody kind of has the same thing that we have, or we assume that they have it better than us, Right. When a lot of times they, they might not and they don't you know, so everybody doesn't have a best friend or somebody they can lean on or a mom that they can call and just talk to. So you might have to be that person for somebody, you know, and asking somebody like, do you have, do you have somebody you're talking to? Like, you don't have to talk to me. If you want to talk to me, don't talk to me. But I want to know, do you have somebody that you can talk to about whatever's going on, you know? be a little nosy sometimes
0: and you know sometimes because I can relate to that I'm a very introverted person I actually enjoy being alone I'm not gonna call it isolating because isolating is a different thing and I have Mm. done that and that was not healthy but I genuinely do appreciate when people that I don't know or people that I just work with that are just acquaintances they're like hey what do you have going on this weekend like are are you good are you sure like if you need some somewhere to hang out and you want to be social like come on by right now I'm like I'm like, uh, no, I'm good, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I genuinely, I, I appreciate it, right, because mm-hmm. even though I may not go, just the 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 fact that you thought about me and you cared to check on me or invite me to this right, means that exactly. you care and that does something. At,
1: right, and sometimes, yeah. you know what, sometimes that is so true, because sometimes you are like really excited that you got invited. Um, <laughs> I kind of like to be at my house too, so... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay to, to turn it down too. And and another yeah. thing is I forget who I was talking to, but you know, I was talking about some of the reasons that people join the military and one of the biggest ones is like a sense of belonging, right? They may mm-hmm. grow up from nothing or they may be trying to get away from something and right. you know, they leave their, their past in the past. And now you're, you know, floating on one of those big gray things in the middle of the ocean somewhere right. <laughs> or in a tent in the desert. And, now you don't know anybody or you don't have anything. So it's like, why not just be kind and support each other, whether you are going to be the best of friends or not, like y'all are all in this situation together. So let's be kind, let's support each other. Let's check on each other, lend a helping hand and just let people know that they're not alone. They don't have to isolate. We're all in this together. And something as simple as, Hey man, are you doing okay? All right. You want to come have lunch with us? No. Cool it make the world of a difference. Right. So, yeah. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that. Advocacy is so important and it takes so many different forms. Right. Um, well, the next thing that I want to get into is the um, seed of triumph. <laughs> so that's kind of the basic of the podcast, right? Um, I wanted to build a platform where people could come on and share their own personal stories of resiliency of triumph. So essentially a seed of triumph is just a reframing of a traumatic adversity and into the beginning of progress, right? So sharing your seed presents an opportunity for us all to work through, endure, learn, grow, and ultimately just triumph through life, through through whatever life throws at us. So I wanted to ask you if you had your own personal seed of triumph that you wanted to share.
1: Um, sure. Yeah. For me, it was, um, like I talked about before when I had postpartum depression, it was a rough time. Um, I was getting divorced. I was a new mom. My baby was young, under one. Um, I was getting out the Navy. I was moving. I was starting school. Um, I was starting over completely and it was probably one of the hardest times in my life. It was so lonely. Um, Being a single parent is extremely lonely. So if, you know, anybody that's listening to this, like if you know of a single parent, definitely reach out to them, Um, especially if they're dealing with any of the stuff that we talked about, because you can't go anywhere, you know, especially if you don't have the extra money and stuff, you're kind of stuck at home. So it was just a hard time. But, you know, I was going to school full time and I was being a single mom. And my daughter was thriving in, in daycare and stuff. She was doing great. And I was doing great in school. And, and outside of that was starting to become a community activist and stuff and, and building up my resources and kind of the tools that I had and um, the connections that I was making and things like that. And I was able to graduate from college. And I look back on it, and I'm like, I don't know how I did any of that. <laughs> Um, it was rough, but I did it, you know, and I, I pushed through and I overcame and there was so many times I didn't think I was going to be able to do it at all. Um, a lot of tears, you know, a lot of all nighters, you know, but I look back on that experience and I'm so proud of myself for being able to come out on the other side and being able to, to do it. And I know that D guts, he was such an inspiration to me and such a motivator to me. Um, He really made me believe I could do anything. Once I got out the Navy,
0: Mm -hmm. he
1: really believed that I was smart enough to like do it, you know? Um, And having somebody just believe that I could like really make an impact on society when I never thought that was anything I really could do or want to do or like, get to the point where I'm reaching like thousands of people and get to the point where I'm sharing this message across different platforms and on different podcasts and stuff like that's insane, you know? Um, but I'm here, but if you would ask me during it, (laughs) I probably would have said some real negative stuff guys, right? It would (laughs) would have been a wreck. Um, but yeah, and you can do more than you think you can. We're, we're more resilient than, than we have to be than we should be so
0: when you were when you were faced with all those those um points of stress really all at one time and i and i know you said you know it was hard and It was so much going on and you had to shed some tears, but ultimately you, you came out on top, right? You, your daughter was thriving. You were getting through college. You had these, these dreams, um, ahead of you. So like, was there any central thought or just anything that you always kind of went back to, um, to help you get through those tough times? Um, I would think back to when I joined the Navy and I
1: (laughs) didn't think I could do any of the stuff that I got to do when I was in and I knew I could do it. It was just the doing it part that was, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was hard, but I knew I could. I did. I knew that I could. And I knew it was something that I wanted so bad to do. Um, And I, I knew I was going to be willing to do whatever I had to, to get there. Even so, if that yeah. was lying to myself, sometimes that like, <laughs> you know, I said it wasn't always a confident, like, uh, it would be like, God, I know I got to do this and I know I can get there, but I feel so stupid right now being in But you class. know what? Know even what you about. even
0: you saying, even you saying and acknowledging, I know I can do this. I know I can get there is a positive affirmation that you say to yourself to help you get through. And I think. But there's just...
1: definitely times where I said I can't do it. I, I mean, I would cry and be like, I can't do this. I can't do anything else. I can't do it anymore. I'm but it was temporary, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a um I did use a VA and I do go to therapy and I did have a great therapist and stuff like that. So um that was really, really amazing. I did my um my VA benefits and my disability claim before I got out the Navy. So I was able to start going to the VA right away. Um, I had a great therapist who also had a new baby and oh, she was nice. nursing. So like I the first time I went in her office, I saw her breast pump. I had my baby with me at therapy when I first started. She was a baby, so like she didn't know what was happening. But that's you know, that's the reality of like being a single parent and the situation I was in. Like I had to take my kid to therapy with me. So, you know, it 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 was it was difficult, but I had help, you know, I had a support system. When I moved, I moved home specifically. Because I knew I had a support system here. I knew my family was here, my friends were here and stuff. So
0: good. Well, I'm glad you got through it. I mean, nothing in life comes easy, especially nothing worth, worth having, honestly. So the fact that you, yeah, were were able to pull yourself through it and you're on to way bigger and better things. And I'm so glad that you had the support of your family and people like D Guts who believed in you. That is so important. Um, and just for our listeners, right? Like, you can do it too. Like, we all fall through hard times. We all don't think that we're going to get through them. But just, I challenge you, if you're going through something, go look at yourself in the mirror and say, I got this. I can do this. I will get through this. Because you will. Yeah. You will.
1: Like, it can't get worse than it is, right? Like,
0: that's what, right. you know,
1: And I sometimes tell myself, like, this is it, Amber. This is what it feels like. <laughs> you know, it has to get better. Like, you know rubbing two cents together to make dinner and I was like, I'm gonna graduate and I know it's gonna be better than this.
0: And see, now look at you. You have a, a laundry list of qualifications and credentials and you're gonna go and change the world, if not Pennsylvania first. But yeah. <laughs> be on the lookout for Miss Amber Viola. Thank so you. I always end off the episode with just providing one last opportunity for you to give any last advice for anybody who may be struggling out there. Um keep trying and ask for help.
1: If you even if you don't think you need help, we all need a little bit, you know. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out to a friend or family member. Or a counseling center, or something like that, if you don't have anybody around you and you know and and keep going
0: yeah, no, that's really good, yeah, don't give up, guys. Uh, ask for help. We're all in this together. That's why we're doing this podcast is to help, so thank you for coming and talking to me, and you know being vulnerable for our audience. I think a lot of what you said is gonna be very helpful. It was very helpful for me, and again, I'm so glad to have had the opportunity to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you for having me on your podcast. Thank you.
0: Of course. All right. You enjoy your day and keep your head in the books because you're almost done. Oh God. <laughs> <Almost>. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, Amber. Thank you one last thank you for listening to seeds of triumph podcast and thank you to our guest miss amber viola for sharing her experiences and advice and for all the work she's doing to help our military and veteran force i look forward to seeing her name in the headlines and as always if you are struggling with your mental health and need additional resources please view the link listed in our bio The Seeds of Triumph podcast can be contacted via email at seedsoftriumph.podcast at gmail.com. The views expressed by the speaker and all guests are not those of the Department of Defense, United States Navy, or any other government
1: strictly those of the speakers who do not speak for any other organization or entity. The speakers are not mental health professionals and do not intend any of the content of this podcast as mental health advice. If you need professional mental health advice, please seek out your closest military or civilian mental health providers immediately.